Thanks for checking us out online. We are in the third week of a series that we are calling Asleep in the Light. And sometimes we as followers of Jesus get frustrated when people outside of God don't follow what God says. That seems a little strange if you think about it. We need to wake up, though, and follow what God says to us. Right, church? Yes? That's just a message to me. And all of these messages, honestly, are a little challenging. I mean, they've been a little, you know, uncomfortable. That's kind of what happens. Sometimes we just need to hear the word and let it dig in to the deep parts of us and hopefully change us as we respond. There's a guy named, uh, his name is John Kenneth Galbraith, but he was called Ken most of the time, Ken Galbraith. And he had an autobiography that he wrote. And he told this one story that was pretty interesting. They had a housekeeper named Emily. And one day, John Kenneth Galbraith was pretty tired. And so he said, Emily, I want you to hold all my calls. I need to take a nap. And she said, okay. So not long after that, uh, the phone rang. And she answered. The person on the other end said, this is President Lyndon Johnson. I'd like to speak to Ken Galbraith. And she said, nope. (laughs) Sorry, Mr. President. That's not possible right now. And he said, but I'm the president. And she said, well, I'm sorry, Mr. President, but I work for Mr. Galbraith, not for you. And uh, it was pretty interesting. So you would think maybe the president was mad, but when uh, afterwards, when Ken called him back, President Johnson said, see if you can convince Emily to come and work in the White House. (laughs) He wanted somebody that understood how important it is to do what you're told, you know, in your job or your situation uh, calls for that. So it's really important. Today we're talking about the idea of obedience. And when we wake up to obedience, our lives are going to be changed and it's going to make a difference in the hearts around us as well. So we're going to look at um, three different A's that are related to this word obedience, and they're all from the Bible. And the first one is in Matthew chapter 21. And uh, in this chapter, there are some religious leaders who think they have everything right. They've got it all together. We're right, and everybody else is wrong. And they're talking to Jesus, and they're questioning him. They, they just, like, get in his face. And so uh, Jesus basically flips the tables on them, and then they don't know how to answer him. And after that little scene, then here's what Jesus says, starting in verse 28. But what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. The son answered, no, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went anyway. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed his father? They replied, the first. Then Jesus explained his meaning. I tell you the truth, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him, while tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. So in this short illustration, Jesus makes it clear, the most important part of obedience is what we do, right? You say one thing, but you do something else. The obedience comes from what you do. You need to be active in your obedience. Jesus was and is annoyed when people say one thing, but they do something else. I think that annoys us too, doesn't it? In Matthew 15, Jesus 
repeated the words from Isaiah 29. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, they say all the right external things, but inside, they're not connected to me. And so that lack of connection means there's a lack of obedience. There's no relationship from which this obedience will grow. And then Jesus honors the people who the religious leaders looked down on, the ones who were broken, the ones who knew they couldn't live up to God's standards, the ones who heard what John said, believed what he said, and repented and were baptized. They were the ones that Jesus honored. And he said, these are the ones who will get into the kingdom before you. Because Jesus understands obedience has action with it. There's a wealthy businessman who was known for being ruthless and unethical. And he was talking to Mark Twain. He said, before I die, I want to go up on Mount Sinai where Moses received the law and the Ten Commandments from God. And I want to read the Ten Commandments on top of Mount Sinai. And Mark Twain said, I have a better idea. How about you just stay here in Boston and keep them? Our actions speak a lot louder than our words. So obedience is active. Second, obedience is absolute. There's a pretty interesting story in 1 Samuel chapter 15 where King uh, Saul is given some instructions by God and he obeys them to a point. And then the prophet Samuel comes and, and he just, he rebukes Saul. He challenges him on this and Saul gets defensive. And this is what Saul says, starting in verse 20 of 1 Samuel 15. But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, the goats, the cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Problem was, he wasn't supposed to do any of that. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice. Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. See, partial obedience isn't really obedience. I had breakfast this past week with Brendan Holohan, who recently completed boot camp for the Marines. I said, hey, I want to ask you a question about Sunday, and then I want to use your answer uh, if it's okay. And he said, sure. I said, so if you... We're given a, a command, something you're supposed to do, and you obeyed part of it, how would that go over? <laughs> he said, well, it would be bad, not only for me, but for everyone. And I thought there was some insight in that second part. When we disobey God, it's, it's not only bad for us, it, it affects the people around us in negative ways as well. So God wants our, our obedience to be absolute. He wants our obedience more than our apologies. And it's better to just do the right thing in the first place than try to make up for it later. And I know if you're married men, you know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, I should have done the right thing first. And you know, I'm going to, like Dave said last week, I'm going to buy these diamond stud earrings and try to make up for it. It's better to do the right thing in the first place. Can I be really, really honest with you? 
there are some things that I do not want to do, just in my flesh, in me. I don't want to do them, but I do them because God said that I should. Now, I'm not trying to say I do that all the time and I do that perfectly. That's not, my, that's not at all what I'm saying. But there are times when there's something I don't want to do, but I do it because God said I should. There are other times when there's something I would really like to do. Like in my flesh, I think that would be really fun. I have this desire to do it. And you know, I don't because God said I should. Followers of of Jesus obey even if it isn't our greatest desire. K. Arthur says, if you don't plan to live the Christian life totally committed to walking in obedience to God, then don't begin. If you have no intention of letting Christ rule in your life, then forget Christianity. It is not for you. I told you this was hard. (laughs) We, We obey because God said it. And God is God and we are not. But here's what's really cool. The more you follow Jesus, the more you obey God, the more you develop that relationship, the more mature you are in your faith, the more you realize an amazing thing about obedience that's active and absolute. Obedience to God is also advantageous. It's to our benefit. God made us. God loves us. God died for us. God knows what's best for us. And so when we do what God asks, the results are ultimately beneficial. And there's a story in Luke chapter 5 that is an example of this exact thing that's going on. So if you turn to Luke chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 3. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, who later became Peter, its owner, to push out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, Jesus said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let your nets down to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full, they began to tear. Now, again, we have to understand, Peter, Simon, is a professional fisherman. Like, that's what he's done. He grew up around it. He knows everything about fishing. They fished all night, the time you were supposed to fish. They fished the ways you were supposed to fish. They fished in the places you were supposed to fish. And they caught nothing, nada. And then this guy, who is a carpenter by trade, and a religious teacher, gets in his boat, talks for a while, and then he says, hey, go fish again. In the time you're not supposed to. There's nothing that's going to happen. It doesn't make any sense at all. But Peter did it anyway. Man, Francis Chan nailed it when he said, something is wrong when our life makes sense to unbelievers. There's there's something that God may call you to that doesn't make sense in the world's eyes. But we do it because God said so. But look what happens when we do. There's this 
wonderful result. Now, in Peter's case, that result was immediate, right? It was abundant. It was incredible. It was very obvious. That doesn't always happen, though. Like, God might call you to do something, and you're like, I don't really want to. I don't understand why. God, could you just, like, take that back? I don't want to do that. So Emily Dove is going to come right now, and she's going to share with us just a, a one quick story about a time in her life when God said, here, Emily, here's something I want you to say yes to and uh, how that went. So Emily, thanks for coming. We appreciate you being part of the worship ministry. She's Michael's wife, um, our worship arts minister. She's involved in a lot of worship arts things, helps with children's ministry things and various things here around the church. Anyway, Emily, if you would just go ahead and relate that story about this time when God wanted you to do something and you were like, maybe not. So I'm a person that does not like change. I like being in my little comfort bubble and I can keep doing what I'm doing for a long time and be totally content. Michael's a lot better at change than I am. He's like, let's do this. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm good. <laughs> we had just bought a house. We were in it for maybe about four years, remodeled our house here. We were very happy, busy doing ministry, actually at um, Beach World Christian at the time, loving every minute of it, had our family nearby. We had two little girls at the time, parents nearby, everything was great. And we start feeling this push to maybe step out of that comfort zone. And that push was to go to Georgia. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not okay with this. I don't want to give up all of this, you know, all of our house, our, our family nearby, our friends, our church. I wasn't excited about that at all. Not to mention, I knew nothing about Georgia. I didn't know they even had a football team. So, you know. <laughs> they don't, they don't. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Okay. So doors kept opening and it was certain that this move was going to happen. I can't put into words how I felt and how I can tell you that I knew this was God, but that's the only way I can explain it because this was not of me. This was not something I wanted to do. It didn't make sense. People probably thought we were crazy to be moving across the country somewhere. We didn't know where we were going to be and we knew nobody, no family nearby. It actually was kind of crazy, even financially. People thought we were committing financial suicide. <clears throat> it was in um, 2011 in the recession, and we had to short sale our home to go. It would be four years again before we could buy a house. With that said, we flew down to Georgia one day, had a chance to look at three houses to rent. Number one was, choice was horrible. Number two was bad. And number three was, I guess, Okay. <laughs> And I remember sitting in Michael's soon-to-be office at the church, and I was crying my eyes out. I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go. I don't want to give up everything that we've worked so hard for. We prayed about it, and the only thing I can say is that it was God, because there was this wave of just security that came over me and comfort. And I was like, this is it. This is what we need to do. So we packed up everything we could fit in our truck. We had two guys from Georgia at the church come drive up and meet Michael at an airport and take our moving truck, and we wave bye to everything we own. <laughs> they drive off, and we're basically just our family getting in car and ready to go. So that was really hard. It taught me a lot about letting go of possessions. And it's, we were in Georgia, got settled. I felt like, again, it was just God. Everything worked out. I mean, we had everything provided for that we always needed. We never had anything, you know, like a need that we couldn't have met. We met people that became more like family to us than ever. And we saw God work in 
the most amazing way possible, more than we could have ever imagined through us being there, through the work that Michael was doing in his ministry. And we knew like, this was God. This is why we were here. After four years went by, we finally were able to buy another house. We were so excited. We'd saved and saved and got that short sale off our record and were able to buy a house again, started remodeling, loved it. We had our two boys in Georgia. I mean, again, very attached to our friends in church. And we start hearing that nudge again. <laughs> like, what? No, God, this is, this is not okay. <laughs> I don't want to do this again. We're already settled and established. And um, sure enough, God's telling us it's time to go and actually here back to Ohio to discover. And I was like, there's no way. But, you know, we started thinking, okay, you know, we trusted God before and we saw what he's done. So let's, let's put our trust in him again. And we've gotten back here now. I can see how much God is already working. I see our, our kids, their faith is growing like leaps and bounds. I see awesome things going on here at Discover Christian Church. And I'm just so glad that God's allowed us to be a part of it. And if I had said no, I would have missed out on all this. So I definitely would say, honestly, I would be content to stay here forever and not have to move ever again because <laughs> I, I, I don't like change. But, you know, if God has that in store, you just never know. And I know that when you do obey, amazing things can just happen and it makes it so much worth it. Thank you, Emily, so much for sharing. We appreciate it. it and what Emily talked about is basically the same story as, as Peter, right? God said, do something, didn't make a lot of sense. They did it, felt the blessing. And, and that's what we're talking about. There's this, when you, when you obey God, you, you receive a blessing. It's always bigger than what you could get on your own, right? The, the fishing expedition that was done in human strength was completely fruitless. The fishing that took place when Jesus said to do it was incredible. God's results are always going to be bigger than our results. They might look different than our results, but they're always going to be better and always going to be for our good. I think the time that we see the greatest example of this, not surprisingly, is in the life of Jesus. Jesus, right before he was crucified, was praying. And just one verse in Luke chapter 22 Jesus is just in agony about what's coming. And he says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus knows what is coming. It's going to be anything but pleasant. Jesus is going to have physical and spiritual and emotional suffering beyond anything we could ever imagine. And yet, he says, yes. He chooses to die anyway. And the key to it is the phrase that he says, not my will, Father, but your will is the one that needs to be done. Do you realize if Jesus hadn't obeyed the Father, we would have no hope for eternity. Because Jesus obeyed, we have life, life that's e abundant here on earth, life eternal in heaven, not because of our obedience, but because of Jesus' obedience to the Father. When he was obedient 
as Philippians 2 says, to the point of death, even death on a cross. What a blessing. That was to our advantage. But God did it also for his advantage so he could be in relationship with us because God loves us that much. So obedience is active, it's absolute, and it's advantageous. But here's a question. How do we know if we're obeying God? How do we know if we're doing what God asked? Because honestly, the religious leaders, they truly thought they were doing what God asked. Well, God gives us at least two helpful checkpoints that we're going to look at this morning, just real briefly. The first one is this. We need to pay attention to what people say. Now, a caveat, obviously, is that we need to not try to listen to what every single person says, because that's impossible. That's actually foolish. The other thing is we need to be careful to listen to the right people. Don't listen to people who are giving you unwise information or unwise counsel or advice. We should listen to people that are trusted, especially followers of Jesus who are around us. And we should especially pay attention if we're hearing from more than one source that something is wrong. Something is we're just not seeing is what they are seeing. In Colossians 3.16, it says that we're supposed to teach each other and admonish each other. Admonish is this word that basically means we're supposed to correct each other in love with encouragement. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, you are actually saying to every other follower of Jesus, I invite you to look at my life and help me walk more closely with Jesus. That's absolutely what you do. It's not comfortable, it's not easy, but it's good, it's beneficial. Proverbs 17, 12 says, a thoughtful rebuke is beneficial to us. It's to our advantage. And then Proverbs 25, 12 talks about how when criticism comes from a trusted source, it's like a valuable gift. It's like gold. We have a message feedback team here that each week will give just feedback on the sermons, on the messages. And I especially appreciate the constructive criticism because there's stuff I don't see. And there are things that we don't see that people around us do see. We have blind spots. And we need to listen and pay attention and trust the people around us. So that's one thing. Listen to what people say. Second, obviously more important, is listen to what God says. God primarily speaks to us through the Word, through the Bible. In the book of James, there's a verse that we've been talking about this month. It's a memory verse. It says, don't just listen to the word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. And then it goes on in verse 23. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. So, there's a mirror, and I'm here, and I look, and I say, whew, good-looking guy. Nice hair. Everything's in place. And when I walk away in my brain, this is what I remember. Why is that funny? I don't understand. But here's what it says. When you do that, you're only fooling yourselves. You're only fooling you. Not fooling anybody else. So what is our spiritual mirror? It's the Bible. 
It's where we see ourselves for how we really are. And we need to be careful not to walk away and forget what we look like. It says, going on, verse 25, if you carefully look into the perfect law, the word that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. What God says is the standard. It's not how I feel. It's not what society tells me. It's not my opinion or your opinion. Ultimately, God is God, and we need to pay attention to what he says. And here at Discover, we will do that imperfectly, but we really are committed to that. We believe the Bible should be our authority. And that permeates our leadership team. That permeates the the children's ministry. It permeates our student ministry. It permeates our adult life groups and discipleship groups. It permeates our time of worship together. It's infused into the way that we serve. And I think it's really cool, too, when you look at what it says here, there's a huge point. It says, when you look carefully into this, it's going to give you freedom. This brings freedom. God is not out to kill your fun. God wants you to discover the freedom we can only find in relationship with him. And again, that only makes sense in relationship with God. And ultimately, that's what this all comes back to. Obedience really comes out of relationship. Jesus talked about it in John 14, 15, when he said, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll obey me. We obey because God says so. We obey because it's beneficial. But ultimately, we just obey because we love Jesus. When you're a kid, right, you obey because, first of all, you're terrified, right? You don't want to get in trouble. Later on, You begin to obey because you want to honor your parents. And ultimately, you obey because you just love your parents. And you want to honor them. And you're grateful for all the things that they've done for you. That's the same. Our obedience flows out of our love from God. And love is part of our mission statement where we love God and we love people. We make a difference in the world. And we reach into our community our vision statement. We love the people and together we walk in relationship and we do that over and over. It's about love. It's about relationship. It always comes back to that. We live those out because we love Jesus and we want other people to fall in love with Jesus as well. And because of that love, we obey. Lee Strobel said, if two angels were in heaven and they were given assignments by God, one of them to go and rule over the greatest nation on earth and the other to go sweep the streets of the dirtiest village, each angel would be completely indifferent as to which one got which assignment. It simply wouldn't matter to them. Why? Because the real joy lies in being obedient to God. So here's the bottom line. 
the real question for you, the real question for me, how much do I love Jesus? If we love Jesus, we'll obey Jesus. And if we don't, we won't. Let's pray. God, we're grateful that you love us so much that you sent Jesus. Because of his obedience to you, we can be in relationship with you. And we discover what true love really is. And out of that true love then comes our obedience through that relationship. God, we we know there are places in our own lives where we haven't been fully faithful to you and we haven't done everything you said. And today we just ask, God, would you remind us of those things through people around us, through your word. Help us to be changed, not to, to walk away from that and think we're different than we really are. Help us to be changed, to become more like Jesus. So when people see us, they see him more than they see us. That's not anything we can do on our own, God. So again, we invite your presence, your Holy Spirit, to be involved in that transformation. God, help us to remember that the world may be dark, but there is light, and you are that light. And as we are in relationship with you, that light grows. And God, we ask that it would be radiant because of who you are. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. This has been a sermon series by Discover Christian Church. Find more at discovercc.org.